You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. So we have a couple of announcements. Um, we're going to bring up a flyer up on the screens. And we, dis- we displayed this last week, um, Faithway Nursery. We changed a couple of programs here in the church. We are now opening up a new uh, ministry for our kids. This is going to be our junior high ministry. And with that, we have lost a lot of our teachers. So church, this is your calling. We really, really need you to fill up all of these positions. We need nursery helpers. It doesn't matter your age. If you were a teen, if you were a youth, youth, we can use you. Youth, if you like babies, if you have younger brothers and sisters, if your moms and dads have you babysit sometimes, then you guys are experienced and you guys are qualified, okay? So we just urge you guys to stir something up within yourselves. Pray about it. You know, and just step into this. You know, just try it out. Whether you're iffy about it or not, try it out. We need someone in the nursery, and we also need in the super kids. Our super kids is our elementary age students, and these are um, usually uh, from the ages of 7 to, we're going to stop it at 9. Um, right now it's at 11, but we will be stopping it at 9 pretty soon. Um, but we just really want to encourage you guys to stir it up and get into these programs and uh, try to serve and help out with the teams here at Faithway Church. So youth, um, you guys are dismissed. You guys are collecting today. And student ministry, we have a couple of changes. So if you weren't here last week, these are the changes. Nursery, you're right here in the hallway foyer up to the age of three. And then right next door is our super kids. Super kids, you guys are right next door in the middle where the cafe used to be. And our jam club kids, you guys are dismissed to your regular classrooms. So let's give them a round of applause as our students are dismissed. And let us all go ahead and open up our hearts, and let's get ready to experience life in a new way, the faith way. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. Okay, this side. Good morning, everyone. This side, answer. This is, uh, these guys are on. <laughs> all right. Praise God. Well, we're going to get right into it. Praise and worship, which is so good. You know, just think about. I don't know how you guys digest praise and worship, but I really, I, to me, it's like sermons, right? So I'm hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, and I'm trying to, you know, incorporate it. So a lot of those songs today spoke to me directly, so I'm blessed. And I'm double blessed because my whole crew is here this morning. My whole family is here, both of my kids, all the grandbabies are in the house, and all except my son-in-law because he's working. Somebody's got to work. So but other than that, the whole bunch is in the house, so I am totally blessed by that. Amen. It's hard to get them together, get them Anyhow, let's get right into it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for where the word will take us and the things that we are seeking and pursuing in revelation, knowledge, and insight. Father, I pray that you help us to navigate through this and to understand the heart of this message. And I thank you for all the people in the building. I thank you for everyone watching online. And I believe that the word will flow freely and unhindered by any demonic force, by any distractions or anything else in Jesus' name. Everybody said... 
Amen. Well, praise God. Y'all remember when we were praying for rain? All right, just letting you know. You let me know when y'all want me to turn it off. No, just kidding. <laughs> that's, a, that's an Elijah joke. Okay, just kidding. I have to start running, practicing my running so I can run faster than the chariots. No, no it's all good. It's all good. So I understand this how Texas rain. You guys haven't seen a lot, so a lot of the church, they, they couldn't comprehend what was happening, so they stayed home. Thank you guys are brave, and you fought the rain, and you made it through the puddles and, you know, the flash floods and everything else that was supposedly going to happen. But it's crazy, you know, how rain will just affect people's, um, you know, can't go to church because it's raining. Like, really? If the post office guy misses his, because it was raining, then you file a complaint, right? He's like, oh, that guy didn't show up just because it was raining. You know, and my joke is always like when we're in heaven and we're standing in front of God, and I don't think this is going to happen, Laudo, thank God, but if it would happen, and you were in line, and you had Peter, and you had Paul, and you had Polycarp, and some of these great heroes of the word, and, and they're like, you know, what did you do? And oh, I was crucified for you, Jesus, upside down, you know, and Thomas was, I was killed in Asia with a sword through my ribs, Jesus, and then you showed up, and you're like, I went to church when it was raining, Lord. Aren't you something? Glory to God. So give yourselves a hand clap for coming to church. Come on. That's my whole point. Anyway, you're like, get over it, Pastor. No, you got to get over it. Come on. <laughs> Not you, the ones that are supposed to be here. You guys made it. All right, let's get into it. Um, so we've been talking about the ecclesia, the church, and I'm trying very hard this not to seem like a boring message, and hopefully it's not, but you have to understand what we are. You know, things that if we don't know who, what we are, then we really don't know where we're going, and we really don't know what we're doing. That applies to every area of your life. If you're a parent, you better figure out what parenting is, right? If you're a student, you better figure out what studenting, I know that's not a good word, is. But everything in life, we have to figure out how it is. And I think one of the things, you know, in my studies and over the years watching is I think one of the things that's really messed up is the church. Because, you know, man infiltrated it with a lot of ideas. And today, you know, 2,000 years plus later, we have this version of what we call church. But it's really, really different from what the original version was. Now, thank God we have this. And we'll talk a lot about this because, you know, we'll talk about, you know, some of the fellowship and everything. But kind of what we've, you know, morphed it over all these years, it is really, really different. Really, really different of what the original church was. Now, we have, you know, some of the fundamental things in place. You know, we're believers. We believe in Jesus. And as a pastor, you know, it's kind of hard because you're always wanting to say, you know, what is the secret sauce? <laughs> what is the, the formula to gather people? And, and people, as you know, because we're all people, we're diff- difficult. We're different. And it's not just one thing fits all. And, you know, some churches figured out within their community how to draw people or what have you. And, you know, and others were trying to figure it out. But at the end, I think we, we created this model called church, and it's really morphed into something that's almost like a program-driven system, you know, and it's taken a lot of the attributes of corporate America. It's taken a lot of the attributes of a business, and I think we need that because we need to be able to manage this thing. But at the end of the day, this is not a business. Can you say amen? Mm-hmm. And, and we have to look at it. So what happens then? So what happens to church people like you guys? Well, and I was just thinking about that during praise and worship. That's not even on my notes. I was thinking, you know, we come to church and we just replicate what everybody else is doing, assuming that that's the way we do it. That's number one. But then the other thing that happens is, you know, you, you come to church and my thing is, are we engaging it 
to what it's about. Because it's, this thing is about Jesus, all right? And not only just about Jesus, it was about Jesus setting up a plan that we were supposed to follow. Are you here this morning? It's called discipleship. And the plan was really, really simple. And it starts with something called the Great Commission. And I think when the church doesn't understand it, they, they get really wound up in, in, in two different attitudes. One, like, you're not doing enough. And the other one is like, well, I'm doing everything I can. And both of those attitudes will represent pretty much failure as far as Christianity's, <laughs> trying to find the right word, furtherance would have. Now, where am I going with all this? Let's talk about this Great Commission because, you know, he says, well, Pastor, we know all that. No, well, I'm going to show you some things because there are some things that the Lord showed me this week and I was studying and trying to unpack on this. So I want you to open, I want to read it out of the book of Acts this time. It's the same thing that happens in Mark 16. Same thing happens in Matthew. But I want to read it from the book of Acts. So basically, we find Acts chapter 1, Jesus, you know, has been crucified, has resurrected, went to his father's throne, came back, and was with his disciples for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, we have what we call the final ascension, you know, and that's where we're at. So bringing you to this verse, this is where they're at. So they're basically talking to Jesus, and he's about to take off, and he's giving them the final instructions. And I want you, because I, I want to pick through this here briefly before we get into it, because I want to talk this morning about what is the character of the ecclesia? What is the character of the church? And what happens when we find what's the character of the church, what's well, going to transfer into your character? Because like I said last Sunday... This is, when, we, when we close this building, you know, whenever we leave, 12, 30, 1, whatever, this stops being a church. It just becomes a closed building. Pay attention to this statement. Because the only thing that makes it a church is you. This could be a little casino. It could be, you know, a grocery store. It could be a lot of things. But when we leave, this just becomes a building again. Now, people will go by up and, oh, there's a church, I go to the church, a church, a church, a church. But there's a danger in that because you just identify everything as a structure or as a corporation or as a building or as an organization. We have to get back to this idea of what is the calling. What is the calling of the church? Because we have to start there. We can't really resolve the character of the church until we resolve what the calling of the church is. Because the calling will really influence everything about what the character of the church is. Now, I know I'm going through a lot. So let's read it, and I'm going to take my time on this. It says, so Jesus has given final instructions. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now, my top note says that, you know, it, this talks about the Great Commission. Well, I added the word partnership because the Great Commission to me, and this is something I've struggled, and I think i I haven't really resolved it, but I'm on a path to resolving it in my own psyche, and my own thinking, was it always seemed to me that God, you know, it, it, this is how it played out in my head. Now, remember, I grew up in church, so I have like this idea as a child and then going to Christian schools and then, you know, whatever. But you come to this idea of what is the Great Commission? Because the Great Commission in Mark 16 is basically the same. It says, go ye and preach the gospel to every creature, you know, lay hands on the sick, they will recover, so forth and so on. They will speak in new tongues and all that. So the Great Commission is, is this idea that we have a responsibility to tell other people about what God has done for us. You hear an amen? That's our responsibility. But the problem was, you know, I grew up in a culture, you know, a, a church culture where this was almost like, you know, you better do this. I mean, you're a soldier for Jesus and you better go out there and get people saved because if you don't get people saved, you're not doing your job. 
Now, maybe you didn't grow up that way, but that was kind of what came across, right? The Great Commission. Get everybody saved. And if they're not saved, then, you know, you'd get an attitude. Or if they didn't want to listen to you, you'd get mad at them. And then, you'd, you know, one moment you're like, come to Jesus, get to heaven. And the other moment, like, nah, just go to hell, you know, because they didn't want to talk to you. And this Great Commission becomes a burden. Pay attention. It becomes a burden if you don't understand partnership. Why? And this is the, this is the thought. Now, just track with me on this one. Let's, let's go into a little apologetics, see if this works. So God Almighty, let's just think about God Creator, breathes galaxies, and we don't know any understanding of God. Let's just be honest. We have no working understanding of God. We have a little bit of information. I really mean a little bit that the Bible gave us. But if you really try to play your brain out to how God breathes galaxies, you know, you're gonna, your brain's going to go tilt. So we have to, you know, go through these things, you know, who is God, what is God. So let's just, you know, let's just assume God is who he says he is. He's the creator of everything. But then if he's the creator of everything, guess what he created? The universe. He created you. He created Jesus. He created Satan. You agree with that? Pay attention, because he created him. He didn't create him as Satan, but he created him. Now here's the question. Do you think God in all his knowledge, all his knowing, on his everything didn't realize that Lucifer was going to play his hand and get kicked out of heaven, and now we have good and evil and all these kind of things. So, so you know, God was aware of everything. And I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that. But here's where we have to resolve the difference between a great commission and a great partnership. Because the great commission is, I am God, you get people to Jesus. That's your job. And to me, it's kind of like, wow, here we have this God that has placed a burden on humanity that is really hard to carry. Because if that's the God, you know, God just says, okay, here's my creation, and it's all messed up, y'all go fix it. And here we are struggling as Christians, saying like, and you, and you run into that thing, you know, you've been in a, in a situations where, you know, you were talking to somebody, a friend of yours, a family member, or somebody you didn't even know, and there was a prompting in your heart, if that's you, just raise your hand at one time in your Christian life, to share Jesus. It's just a little tickle or something. But you didn't follow through for whatever reason. And, and now that doesn't make you a bad person, but what came after that was condemnation. I'm going to get, don't want to, that's actually the end of the sermon. But what happens is we, we took this burden like, man, it's our responsibility to save humanity. <laughs> Guess what? You can't save humanity. You can't even save yourself. Thank you. So, we, you know, we're going to got to preach Jesus. We've got to get as many people in heaven before the rapture. So we have this, you know, and that, there's a lot of truth in there. But what happens is if we don't understand that word partnership, then it becomes a burden. Because here's this God that created heaven. Here's this God that created our Savior. Here's this God that created our enemy. And the same God now just put a burden on you to go fix a mess. That, to me, doesn't work. There has to be something deeper. Because that is kind of, even though people don't preach that, but as a child, especially, you know, somebody being raised in church or raised in a Christian school, you will absorb it like that. How many know what I'm talking about? You almost feel like if you don't bring somebody to Jesus, you're not doing your job. Now, there's a truth to that, but not the way, not the way Christianity has represented it. Because at the end of the day, this is not about numbers. This is not about how many people get to heaven and how many people go to hell. Uh, you know, that's how, that's how it's been addressed sometimes. You know, at the end, there'll be more people than heaven. Well, I sure hope so, but... We don't guarantee that, right? Because at the rate that we look at the earth right now, it looks like more people will be in hell than they'll be in heaven. Do you agree with that statement? I mean, we have 7 billion people currently. How many of those do you think are heaven-bound? <laughs> you know, maybe a billion? That would be quite a number. 
But the fact is, we see a world that is dark, we see a world that's messed up, and now we have a commission on us to shine a light, to be salt, to do all these things that we talked about last week, and that is correct. But we have to understand how to do it. And, if you, and, the, and I guess the biggest problem of this is if you don't understand the character of the ecclesia, then you won't understand the mission of the ecclesia. And if you don't understand the mission, you will get bitter. Amen. You will get mad. And we know, uh, you know, I, I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and, and they were asking me a question. He says, you know, I guess from a Christian perspective, and they were talking about somebody that's supposed to be a Christian and professes to be. And again, none of my business. I'm not talking, this has nothing to do with people from the church. Actually, both parties aren't really people from the church. And they're like, Pastor, they're supposed to be Christians, and they're acting like this. And I'm like, well, maybe you should talk to the boss. That's not my fault. <laughs> they don't even go to my church, whatever. But, you know, this idea that, that why this God of love that encompassed this message and put his son on a cross and gave us a commission, but that commission somewhere along the line turned into something not very pretty. Because a lot of Christianity is not very pretty. A lot of Christianity is forced. A lot of Christianity is almost... You know, if you don't do this, then you're off. Or we play this, oh, this is the club. If you're not part of the club, then, then, you know, we don't even want to look at you. All this weird dynamics that happen within Christianity, and I think this is what's happening. Since we don't understand the character, we don't understand the commission. Since we don't understand the commission, at the end of the day, you either do it wrong or you don't do it at all. So my job this morning is hopefully to navigate through some of these things. And when you leave this building, you're going to see how easy it is to do this. When you understand your part and you understand God's part. So let's, let's, let's go back a little bit for those of you that weren't here last week or, or I don't want to preach the whole message. But the basis of this message comes when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say I am? Now he asks, who do people say I am? And they go through this, this whole thing. But when he finally comes to Peter, Peter receives revelation knowledge. He says, you are the Christ. And, and Jesus responds, he says, hey, Peter, well, Simon, he says, Simon, upon that rock, the rock of revelation insight, I will build a church. The thing is, he didn't use the word church. He used the word ecclesia, which I explained to you was a form of localized government that was created by the Grecian government, but it was adopted by the Romans because it worked. And I don't want to go through this whole explanation about last week, but that is still the heart of the ecclesia. And it was about putting people in rhythm, putting people on one accord. And the ecclesia worked like, you know, if everybody had to be in accord to this thing, if not, it wouldn't pass. Well, Jesus, by saying that, every, 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 every ear understood what he was talking about. Now, we use the word church, and you find the word church a lot in the Bible, but it it's really is a mistranslation because the most common word was ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia. They were always referring not to a building, but to a people that had a couple common characteristics. They had the same mission, and they, listen to this, they would not even try to move into their mission unless they were all in agreement. Now, this, now we're going to talk about the church because we're talking about us now. So these are fundamental things about the ecclesia. Now, I want to I read this note that I, I wrote this, this week at some point in my notes. And it says, holiness, listen to this, because you know, we talk a lot about holiness, and holiness is a thing. We have to be holy. But I wrote this down. I said, holiness grows with community, and this came about from actions that were taken on the message. I don't know. That might be a slide. I don't know if I, I put that note up, but it's the next one. Um, holiness grows with community, and this comes about from action on the message. Now, I know, I know that's kind of like, what, is your, what are you talking about? Let, let me break it down. Because one of the keys of the church, I mean, one of the commissions of the church, when we talk about great commissions, 
it is not just the commission to get people to Jesus. There's a lot of commissions. One of those commissions was to be holy. Okay. Yes, it's still a thing to be holy. <laughs> Let me help you. You know, it's still a thing. A lot of churches don't believe it, but it's still a thing. And if we're not careful, then holiness becomes also one of those things where we're trying to, well, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't go there, don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke, you know, that whole thing. And if you do all, well, let me put it this way, if you don't do all these things, and if you do all these things, like you got to pray, you got to fast, you got to give, you got to give, you come to church, then if you, know, if you don't do all these things, and if you do all these things, then you become holy. Well, that is religion to the max. Because by doing that, you completely nullify grace. Why do you need grace if your salvation is based on your actions? Another good spot for an amen. So holiness, which is still a thing, but I discovered because you got to track the first century church to see how this works. This was a holy church. I mean, there was so much power in the church. When they got together, it was powerful. I mean, people died and people were raised from the dead and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Now, God wasn't killing people. It's just the presence of God and the darkness of people. People would die in church services. You're like, I don't know if we want to go back to that church, Pastor. Well, I don't know about that. You know, we don't want nobody croak here. But, you know, holiness grew with the community. In other words, holiness, first and foremost, was a separation. But the separation, and this is what we think, you know, holiness is an action. We've got to be holy. We've got to be holy. No, no, holiness came because of the message. The message made you do things that maybe you were not used to doing or you used to doing, and you knew that somehow they weren't appropriate anymore. You didn't need a sermon. You didn't need a preacher. The Spirit of God moved you, but it grew with the community. In other words, pay attention to this. Let me summarize it or let me boil it down to something that, that will make sense. If you're a new Christian, we were all new Christians at some point, meaning you came to God. Your life was a wreck. You came to Jesus. That doesn't mean your life got fixed. Maybe it did. The point is, you came to Jesus. So here's a question. Do you believe at the beginning of your Christianity that you would need to do some changes to maintain your Christianity? Are you guys awake this morning? Is it rain, May? It was the weather, Pastor. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, if I used to party like a rock star, and now I got Jesus, at some point from Jesus forward, you would think I got to stop doing that, right? It doesn't, maybe, maybe it's not instant. Because, you know, there's a molding process and there's a change. That's why, that's why I have grace for everybody because God has a lot of grace for me. He's not done with me yet. Guess what? He's not done with you. So stop judging people. Amen. I saw a really good meme and then I said I should post it. But I said, no, that's kind of self-serving, but I'll say it anyway. I said, you got to cut your pastor some slack because we're not perfect. And the meme said this was really good. He said, cut your pastor some slack. Because when you are imperfect, he cuts you all the slack. Right? I mean, you don't have to agree with that, but if you've come to me with issues in your life, I've never thrown anybody away. I've never told you, you're not worthy of this. I've, you know, some dark, dark things that have happened in people's lives, even in our leadership, and we just kind of navigate it. So the meme said, if your pastor cuts you all this grace, why don't you cut your pastor some grace? That's a side note. Maybe somebody need to hear it. Maybe somebody talking trash about me. Whatever. I still love you. I don't really care. But here's the thing. We are all subject to grace. And we can't do anything without God's grace. So you have to be careful as you're navigating through what is this commission thing? How does holiness mean? Everything grows together. So here's my point. You are born again. And what is the one thing you want to change? Well, one thing you want to change is your friends. <laughs> Thank you. Let me try this side. This side I think fell asleep on me. One thing you want to change is your friends. 
In, in Spanish, my, my mom, you know, she used to say, este, que anda con lobos enseña a huyar. All right? We, Mexicans, we have all the greatest sayings in the world. Amen? El río suena porque agua lleva. When somebody talking trash, hey, you know, I was doing something, that, and I would deny it. And she said, no, el río suena porque agua lleva. <laughs> well, the same thing comes with this idea. You know, here we are as Christians, and it's not a have to, but if you want to pursue a life of holiness, one of the main things you're going to have to do, main things, and this is not really spiritual, is you have to change your community. That's such a deep revelation, Pastor Boggs. You know, if I'm dealing with somebody that's struggling with alcoholism, the very first thing I got to tell them, I said, hey, you know, we're, we'll work through this, and I'm going to help you, and we're going to walk through this, but we got to change your friends. Because if you're struggling with this, it's not going to help if you're going to go hang out. Okay, I'm not drinking anymore, and everybody around you is drinking. That's not going to help. So one of the things that we do see is that holiness grows with community. The more you, the more you subscribe yourself to your new community, guess what happens? It's not that you have to try to be holy. You kind of become holy by default. Because, you know, you're not going to run around with a bunch of Christians and still do the stuff you did when you were running around with a bunch of heathens. I don't know why I can't get rhythm. You guys either got to say amen or something because it's like, I feel like I'm preaching good and I feel like it's like bouncing off the wall. But anyway, that's fine with me. I've been doing this a long time. So think about it. If you become a Christian... The, thing, the very first thing you're going to have to find is a community of like precious faith. I'm not talking cult thinking. I'm not talking, we don't know, I'm just talking of like precious faith. When I got born again, I didn't get rid of any of my friends. They got rid of me. That's the truth. Because, you know, I was so weird and I didn't know what to say. That when I, when I had my experience, it was so fresh and so new. When all my friends would show up and say, eh, I got some, let's do this. I'd just go, oh, I can't because I'm going to the doctor. Like, that ever mattered for a anybody right and they would look at me like yeah whatever well they all disappeared you know years later it's amazing a lot of these guys that i used to run with as a pastor they came back and i counseled them and i prayed for them and these used to be my my running buddies you know but here's my point holiness is attainable first and foremost when you find a community of believers once you find a community let's use the word tribe because this whole bible is this whole bible and this is where western america and i'm not i don't I want to use the word white, but not in a you know, racial way, but westernized church America or white America. Maybe Hispanics will understand it a little deeper because of our culture. It is a bigger deal. They don't really understand tribal thinking. And you have to understand tribal thinking because you could change as holiness grows with the tribe. Community is tribe. In other words, a tribe associates itself by what? By certain beliefs, certain direction, certain vision. And they assign their leaders, and that's what's called a tribe. Well, everybody needs a tribe. You can't be alone. And one of the things that, that the Ecclesia was really big on, and we're going to get to something here in a minute, and, and you know, I'll just see how you take it. I'm just, I'm just going to read the word. But the Ecclesia, one of the, their attributes was that people felt comfortable coming to this thing. This, it was brand new. And I'll talk a little bit about the first century church in a moment. But they felt comfortable coming to this th- new thing. Now, remember, Christianity wasn't, Christianity was a new thing, but it wasn't a new thing to have these religious people pop up and say they had a new thing. That was all over, <laughs> all over all the time. So when Jesus got crucified, they go, okay, there's another whack job. Let's just crucify him. Who's the next crazy guy, you know? Who's the next David Koresh that's going to pop up? That's just the way it was. People would come up with all crazy ideas, and they'd create little followings, and the Romans would kill the leader, and the whole following would fall apart. Well, that didn't happen with this bunch. 
because they killed the leader. And it was like, you pruned the tree. They were supposed to disappear. And once you kill Jesus, this whole thing was supposed to unravel because it was only 11, you know, ignorant men trying to figure this thing out. This whole thing was supposed to disappear, but it didn't. It grew and grew and grew into what we have today. That's almost impossible. What happened, what was different was that this community was doing things that had never, ever been heard of outside. And I'm going to say outside because it wasn't even real common. Outside maybe Jewish culture. And I'll, and I'll share some of those things. So just, just remember that. Holiness grows with community. And this comes about from actions on the message. That's going to lead me to my next point. These people didn't have the whole Bible. They had what Jesus said and they had the Torah. That's all they had. They had what Jesus said and they had the ancient writings of the Torah. They, they, they couldn't go and say, well, open your Bibles to Galatians. They were happening. <laughs> Well, there wasn't even a Galatians when I'm talking because this is like brand new week one church has started. Okay, give me the next one, RJ. Let's let's get into some of this meat. So in Acts chapter 2, now I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long. You you see the flow. So Acts chapter 1, we see that we know this, the move of the Holy Spirit. Boom, Holy Spirit shows up, explosion, day of Pentecost. It's amazing. The next thing that happens in from 1 to 13, we see the Holy Spirit move. I'm I'm going through this quick because I want to get to the last part. Then from 14... Verse 14 to 42, you hear Peter preach. <laughs> so this is really significant. I want you to get a hold of this because this is the first sermon that was preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pay attention. This is the very first sermon. You could say this is the first sermon the church preached. Now there's a lot of unpacking in that sermon. I'm not going to even go there because he's talking primarily to Jews. So he's going into their Jewish history and he's going into a lot of things. But he pulls one thing that to me... Just, it's amazing why, H, I hadn't seen this till like yesterday. But it's there. <laughs> let, let, before I show you, let, let me add another point. I was going to say this at the front, and then, of course, my brain goes all the different directions. When you come to the things of God, you ha- another thing you have to break out, the side note, break out of the student mentality. Because the, when you go to university, you're assigned, if you finish all these courses, you will get a degree. Amen. Those of you that have gone through that, and what happens pretty soon, you probably forget most of that stuff. All you want was a degree, right? But you have a sense of completion. i got to finish the book. I'll take a test. I'm done. Put the book away. That's not the Bible. So you got to break out of that mentality. You know, come to church as a student, but don't think we're ever going to learn everything. Because, you know, one thing I know, the more I learn, the less I know I know. I'll see something like, wow, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just keep finding things, and I'm thinking, 30 years, and I just saw that? That's kind of how I felt about this. But anyway... The, and Peter, he's going to summarize it, and I'm going to give you the message translation there because it's kind of funny. Peter continued preaching for a long time, so don't be judging me. That's where I got it from, all right? This pastor preaches for a long time, so did Peter. Strongly urging all his listeners. Now listen to the message. He doesn't even talk about Jesus in his first sermon. I mean, he does talk a lot about Jesus, but his conclusion is not about Jesus. He does talk a lot about Jesus, but it's like when you, some, when you finish a sermon, you've got to bring people to a point of decision. Do you agree with that? That will happen this morning. I'll, I'll, I know where, where the sermon's going to finish. I already know. And then at that point, you'll have to make a decision, what you do with the end of the message. So listen to this. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That doesn't sound like real... Of all the messages that we could start, if we're going to launch a church first Sunday, 
You would think it would be a, like a really good message about, I don't know, salvation, community. No, he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I'm thinking, first message of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is it? Save yourself from crooked generations? That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's a good one, exactly. Because that right there implies so many things that Peter was trying to make the ecclesia understand. Because they keep using the word ecclesia. So he's saying, okay, now you guys are an ecclesia, but you're not an ecclesia in the sense of your precinct or your neighborhood, and we're going to fix the sewer decisions. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can have to go hear the podcast from last week because I was, I was illustrating what an ecclesia is. He says, the ecclesia, this ecclesia has a commission. And he starts with the very first commission. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, give me the next one. And, and this is important. I'll, I'll show you why. This is the message. I think this is hilarious. He says, he went, on, he went on in this vein for a long time. That doesn't mean he just, touching point. He stayed on this point for a long time. You know, like I do sometimes, I'm like, yeah, pastor, go to the next point, you know. He's just beating, no, he's on this point. Urging them over and over. Get out while you can. <laughs> Get out of this sick and stupid culture. Can you say stupid in church? I just did. But I read it from Peterson's writings. So he'll go to hell and I won't. Oh, he already died, so maybe he's in heaven. I don't know how that works. That's not a bad word, but he's, here's the message. And he said, Pastor, why are you building on this? Because to me, we have to find out why was this the central message. This is the, very, this is the launch. We're launching a church. And this is your sermon. And the key of it is get out while you can and get out of the sick and stupid culture. Well, we're going to have to spend some time with that. Maybe not, to, maybe not this morning, but I'm going to have to go back and really you know, digest some things. But the one thing I do pick up of it, Jesus was trying to get, you know, Jesus through Peter. Let's, let's, you know, we're assuming Peter is preaching by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to get us to understand something. You're not the same anymore. Pay attention to this, because this is a central message to the Ecclesia. You're not the same anymore. You used to be that. I didn't want to say it, but H, help me. I'll give him a mic. So you used to be sick and stupid. Let's just say it. This would have been a great spot for a cricket sound. What's up with y'all? I can't get nothing to get him to react, right? Somebody go around and check pulse, make sure. Get out while you can and get out of this stupid culture. Okay, so now we got to break every little word down because that's what I do. What is culture? Well, culture is part of what your tribe creates. Before you were with Jesus, you were part of a tribe and you were part of a culture. My culture was rock and roll. Meaning not the music. I still like the music. But, it, but the culture of it, of it, was even more important than the music. Amen? You know, you would dress a certain way, you would do the whole thing, and, you know, destroy your life, whatever. You know, maybe your culture of the Tejano, or whatever that means. Or you're this, or you're that, or you're a sports, or you're, you know, you, you assign yourself to something. Now, that's not necessarily bad, don't think, because we're not talking about, well, I've got to drop everything. No. He's saying, in your thinking, you're going to have to find out what your tribe is. Because unless you figure out what your tribe is, then you're still going to be part of the sick and stupid culture. Now, 
when I was reading this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in my spirit when I was studying this. But one of the things that kept coming up is I'm looking as, yeah, that's, you know, we're the church, we're different. But then I start looking at the, the modern church, including our church, whatever church, you know. And the church and the world don't look a lot different. Y'all still out there? Don't make me go Pink Floyd on you. Is there anybody out there? What are, you know, because we're, we're claiming to be part of this tribe, but we still have a lot of the attributes of our old tribe. And holiness is not about, oh, I can't do this. Forget that holiness comes from actions. It can never come from actions. If holiness came from actions, we don't need Jesus. End of story. You'll need a lot of sheep, right? Because you're going to have to be killing them every Sunday and bleeding them out for forgiveness of your sins. So you'll have to have a sheep farm the way you all sin. Ah, they woke up, Lord, thank you. And he's saying, you got to get out of this mindset. Because the ecclesia, and here's really a danger of the church. The ecclesia, sometimes we come to church a lot of times like individuals. i got to go to church, you know, my life is a wreck, I need this, I need Jesus. I just got to go to church because I know it's good for me, that's wonderful. But we don't come to church as individuals. Now, we'll come in as individuals, but we congregate as an ecclesia. That is important. Because, and, I, and one of the things I love about our church, I really do, I really, and kudos to every one of you and our leaders and everyone. We don't have a lot of people, but my wife and I were talking about this week, but you know, over the years, I'm talking close to 30, 28 years since we've said we're going to start a church in 1994. Yes, we've had issues, trust me, but we've never had major division. You know, people get mad and they leave or whatever. But they didn't take a bunch of people with them. Because that's usually in the church. You know, somebody gets mad and they don't leave by themselves. They take 15 families with them. Well, in the church our size, you take three families. That's a lot. My point is, what has happened? Well, that the message, and something Marcos told me this morning as we're talking, you know, it's, it's, it blessed me. What he told me is that, you know, he, he, he was running, you know, he met some other Christians and stuff, but he said something about his roots and about your, that's what we're talking about, right, Marcos, about your tribe, about his foundations since he showed up at back in Miranda City, back in those years and years and years ago. So people recognize, and that's what he's saying, just by talking, has anybody that happened to you just by talking, people say, well, what church do you go to? How come you know so much? <laughs> because now what? You're, the culture is rubbing on you. And that is wonderful. And I'm, I'm trying to be really careful with this point because this is not about becoming weird and cultic. That is not it. But it's understanding that we are, if you are going to, move and rhythm with the ecclesia, you have to subscribe yourself to it. And that's what Peter meant. He gave this amazing message, but his summary was, you want it? You need to get out of it. Guess what happened with the message? It's right there. This is amazing. That day, everybody say that day. Not six months later, not three-year program, not a five-year evangelistic program to get more people to the church. That day, you talk about we would have, I don't know what we would do if next Sunday 3,000 people show up. I'm going to leave and Lauro can take care of it. Well, H, H and Lauro can take care of that. Imagine if 3,000 people showed up next Sunday. We wouldn't know what to do with it. We'd probably just start crying. Thank you, Jesus, but I don't know what to do with 3,000 people. But here's the thing. He gave a message that wasn't all that spiritual, meaning he didn't really 
You know, you would think, if you imagine the commission, the you're going to give the first message for the church. You would think he would come up with something. No, he came up. For this to work, you've got to get out of that. For this to work, you've got to get out of that thinking. I'm not asking you to leave because, again, we're not a cult, we're nothing. But you've got to break the mentality of the old school, of the old ecclesia, because like it or not, you were part of something. And you dress like that something, you talk like that something, and you hung like those people, and you wore with those people, everything was that. You move into the ecclesia, then one of the things that's got to change is your mindset. And that was like the very first message says, if this is going to work, you got to get out while you can. Well, 3,000 people said, I'm ready. I'll get out now. And the church had explosive growth. Because here's our pastor. You know, this is the pastors of mine. All the pastors I know are always like, how can we do it to get people to church? And then not only that, when you get people to church, how can we retain people in church? Well, at the end of the day, there's none of that in the Bible. You would think if that was such an important point, why didn't Jesus or Peter or Paul or any of them write a little bit about that? There's nothing about that. There's nothing about church growth. There's none of that. All all the materials that are out in the world today on how to grow a church did not come from the Bible. I mean, there might be good ideas. Don't misunderstand me. There might be good programs, and they work, and there's some mega churches that have applied them, and, and it's wonderful. I'm just saying the Bible didn't really have this idea that evangelism is we just got to go and figure out how to beat people in the church or get them. How, no. The message manifested, Diana, through the people was all they needed. That's all they needed. Because the people were the church. The people were the ecclesia. They had no buildings. And I love, you know, I love the, the, the Jewish roots of this, of this group because even though they, were, they, were, they would have not been Jews anymore, they still considered themselves Jewish. And they didn't have buildings. So they only could go to somebody's house or they would go to the temple, to their old church. Because they still love Yahweh. They just love God, you know. But they would hang outside because they wouldn't let them inside. And that's where all the ruckus happened, miracles and stuff. They would just gather. And I got to thinking because I have this idea that when Jesus, I mean, when Peter was, you know, his next sermon, (laughs) they got him thrown in jail later on, is they go back to the temple and they raise this guy had never walked his whole life, you know, and they have this whole dialogue and they get in trouble for it. And I'm thinking, were there 3,000 people following him at this point? That would have been a scene, right? Because these, you know, it's not like they had the internet. They didn't have nothing to do. Some musicians in Cuba, all the people are all fired up. Well, they didn't have nothing else to do. Yeah, they are fired up, but they don't have anything else to do. You know, it's like, what do you do? Let's go to church. You know, that's where it's happening. It's fine. I love it. But I'm saying these people, Peter preached a message, because this is in chapter 3 now. He had 3,000 followers with no building. Y'all tracking with me? This is so boring. No, it's not because we need to come back to this model. We're not here to grow a church, people. Trust me, I've had to, I've had to summarize, you know, resolve these things in my life because sometimes my mission was, you know, and if people didn't show up, I'd get all upset. Or, or people, you know, I'd, I'd preach to the empty chairs, which is horrible because that's, that's a disrespect to you. Guys, being a pastor is not, you know, it has its things. You know, and you prepare a sermon, you prepare a meal, and, and I get in the flesh. Trust me. Oh, Pastor, you're in the flesh. Yeah, I'll tell you what I get. And you prepare a meal, and if you're not careful, you know, you, you sit there and invest six hours into whatever you're going to say, and then people don't come. It's like, hey, I invited you to lunch, but my food's not good enough. Well, that can hurt you. That can help you not help your self-esteem. And then pretty soon you're mad at, at the people that didn't come, so the people that are here wanting to be fed are getting only the anger and the frustrations of the preacher. Well, that's not right. 
So you got to understand, in the Ecclesia, because, you know, all my training since I was a little kid and my Bible training and everything I've had was, we have to bring people to church by the hundreds. <laughs> we have to grow a church. A church is successful if it's full of people. A church is not successful if it doesn't have people. I mean, yeah, there's a truth to that. But I, don't, but I think trying to drive that into people and drive that idea into people, drive that into people, has actually had the opposite effect. Because you're walking around, and I'm, I don't want to get way ahead of this message, but you're walking around with a form of religious condemnation, and that in itself is keeping the, the power of the ecclesia away. Because one of the things the ecclesia moves with is power, and it's corporate power. Here's where it's going to get interesting for you, because it isn't your benefit. You know, I've heard people say, I don't need a church. God loves me. Yeah, that's true. But you do need a church. Well, I'm not going to, no, you won't go to hell. Because hell is not, you know, your salvation is not dependent on your attendance. It's, your, it's dependent on your relationship. But what church does, it builds you. The ecclesia builds you. And it was so powerful. I'm, I want to get to something. I'm taking too, too long to get to it, but I'm going to get to it. So give me the next one, and I'm going to read you what happens afterwards. The building blocks of an ecclesia, just go ahead and skip that one. We're talking about character and mission. So now we're, we're saying chapter. So they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter preached his first sermon, and this was the result. Those are the, those are the two things that happened. Holy Spirit, the Word, result. All the believers, so now we're talking about at least 3,000 plus the 11 plus the 70 plus all the women. So we're talking about there are 3,150 approximately believers at this point, if you want to do the math. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. Remember I told you they didn't have a church? They didn't have a building? Each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And look at the last line of that. And each day. Who did it? The Lord. Everybody say the Lord. The Lord. That's what I'm saying. That burden that has been put on us by religion, that if you're not getting people to Jesus, you've got to be preaching. Yes, we have to do that, but not in the context that it's been put on us. Because guess what? You're not going to add anything to anything. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, because of what the church was doing, pay attention to this. I think this is the, I'm getting close to the secret sauce, I think. Because of the actions of the Ecclesia, the Lord felt comfortable sending his kids over there. Would you send your kids to a place that you're not comfortable with? Come on, parents. Some of you don't even drive off till you see them inside the building at school, right? You're like, I ain't leaving till I see them inside because... Well, the Lord loves all people. He loves those that are going to hell. He loves those that hate him. He loves those that love him. 
he cannot not love people. Follow. Because the church does sometimes kind of pick and choose who we love and who we don't love or who we agree with and who we don't agree with. You know, there are churches that would really, really, really get shaken up bad if certain people walked into their building in the middle of the service. You know, if a meth head showed up and all tweaked out and decided to sit at the front row and he's tweaking out, I mean, a lot of churches would... I wouldn't freak out. I mean, I love this stuff, right? Bring it. Cast the devil out of him. Have it, you know, show what Jesus can do in a church. A lot of churches, they wouldn't have that. They're like, If anything, they'd get a couple ushers and take him to a little room and maybe talk to him and give him a little baggie with a water or something. That's not what Jesus would do. He would deal with the problem. And I'm thinking, you know, you've got to be careful because here is everything you need to know about what it is to be part of a church. Everything right here. Give me the next one. I'll show you. The message and the character were the same. Before I give you all of them. The message, whatever the message was coming out was the character of the ecclesia. What, what I mean by that? If, if a church is preaching, Jesus came to save the lost, then the church should be doing that. In a form. In some form. You get me? Because we don't, you know, no nos mandamos solo. You can't say that in English. <laughs> He's the boss. So whatever the head does, that's what we should be doing. It's really simple. So the message, whatever the message came out, if I say Jesus loves you, then there should be a lot of corresponding actions of love coming from that church. Because if I say Jesus is love, and our church acts like a bunch of mean, spirited, whatever's Christians, then there's a break between what the message is and the character of the church. Get that? You got to have the message and the character. You can't have... You can't have you know, one thing or the other. You can say you're all it, but at the end of the day, your actions will either confirm you're all it or you're not. Amen. You know, it's like lying on your resume. Don't do that. You know, you put it on a resume, I fly airplanes, and they give you an airplane, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> it's got to line up. What the church says, what the message of the church is, should be a reflect. or let me put it, uh, the actions of the church should be a reflection of the message. Simple, simple, simple message. If we say we love people and we act like we don't, then there's a break. And this is where I think the power is broken because I'm trying to find God added to the church daily. God added to the church daily. And I say, why did God add to the church daily? Because he was comfortable with sending, I said that already, with sending his kids there. That's why he would do it. If he wasn't comfortable, he wouldn't send his kids there. Now, you know, I'm, I'm under the spotlight, too, so I'm wondering, is our church there? Is our church a place where people aren't comfortable? Is our church a place where people feel condemned or judged or they don't feel welcome? Because, you know, if it is, we need to change that. Say amen. Because one thing Jesus had, before he went to the church, he went to the lowest places of society. I mean, he got kicked out of church. I mean, he did go to church for a sermon, got kicked out. They like, they'd like to kill him. So then he said, y'all don't want me? I'll go hang out with the prostitutes and see if they want to get Jesus. If they want to, you know, I'll go with the lepers. I'll go to the places where nobody wants me. I'll go with the wine bibbers. I'm talking about your Jesus. He left the sanctimonious place called church and decided to go to the gutter. We did a whole message on grace for the gutter. But the message of Jesus, pay attention to this church, and the character of Jesus were the same. 
He never said something and didn't follow with a corresponding action of love. Amen? I mean, he, to the point of going to Samaria, and we could, we could just be all day on this. All right, let's, let's give me the next one. Now, with that in mind, these are the things that you're going to find in that reading. I'm going to save you the time so you don't have to pick them, but these are the, these are, this is the secret sauce right here. When you find that reading that I just read, the last one, he says, well, they were all devoted. They were all in fellowship. They were all in prayer. They were all concerned about each other. They were all making sure that there was no need among each other. So you found devotion. You found generosity. You found fellowship. You found community. And you found humility. Because you can't have any of that without humility. You don't really find the word humility, but you find the character of the church was a very humble church. Humility, church, listen to me, is not poverty. Say amen. Nowhere ever in the Bible does humility line itself up with lack. Humility is a heart condition. Humility is recognizing that without him, you're not better than anybody. Well, let me, let me, let me re, reword that. Without him, you're not better, period, of nothing. And, and if we're not careful, what happens to the church? Well, I got Jesus, watch. Pretty soon you get arrogance. I'm not saying you guys, but how many have met arrogant Christians? Anybody? Nobody wants to raise their hand. I mean, they're arrogant, you know. They act like they're super holy or whatever. But you find these things. Now, I'm going to break them down. I'm not going to preach on this, but the secret sauce was not deep revelation and insight and the move of the Holy Spirit and people falling out. Now, nothing wrong with that. I'm saying, you know, we've made something that it wasn't. The church's foundation was really simple. They were devoted and not only were they devoted to Christ, of course they were devoted to Jesus, but because they were devoted to Jesus, they were devoted to the Ecclesia. You see that? Because a lot of us, we're so devoted to Jesus. You're here this morning, you're devoted to Jesus. You're watching me online, you're devoted to Jesus. You're listening to the podcast, you're devoted to Jesus. So that, that's not, you know, we're not talking about that level of devotion. We're talking, are you devoted to the Ecclesia? Because the Ecclesia is the representation of Jesus. You know, if Jesus Christ walked into this room, you know, well, probably I'll fall out and faint and whatever. But let's say there's a scenario where Jesus just showed up. Imagine? Wow. And he told this church. I mean, here's, imagine the presence of Jesus, the glory. We're all vibrating here. I mean, this is powerful. And he said, I will bless you. Bring your tithes and offerings. If Jesus said that, I wonder how many of you would just, like, empty everything. Because he's here, right? Oh, what an opportunity. Or maybe some of you are still so stingy that you wouldn't even do that. I'm not giving you my money, Jesus. I'm just saying, in that scenario, it seems like it would be, oh, wow, Jesus is here. Just take it all, Lord, because I know there's no way I'm going to experience life. Do you believe that? The lady, you know, whatever I give to him, he's going to blow it back to me and... But we don't have that revelation. But so, so most of us, for Jesus, we, if Jesus came up here and said, I need two of you to serve in the nursery. If Jesus sit here, himself, not Pastor Box, not Kathy, nobody else, Jesus. I'm sure there'd be a line. I'll serve. I'd probably be in line too, and I can't stand nursery, right? Because it was so awesome. But if Pastor Box comes and says, I need two people for nursery, huh? You go all Mexican, Aww. Like a little kid. Uh-huh. 
Why? Hey, you have an opportunity to tithe and give. Why? Why do I have to give money? Because if you don't give money, you don't get air conditioning. Just kidding. I'm just saying, what's the difference? My only point of that analogy, what's the difference between a manifested presence of Jesus and me preaching about him? The only difference is you have assimilated your connection to Christ and you're good, but you haven't assimilated your connection to the Ecclesia. And that's why you have trouble with it. Because if you had assimilated your connection with Christ and the same assimilation is coming with, with, uh, with the Ecclesia, to me there's no difference. You give to him or you give to the church. And again, this message is not about giving. This message is about understanding this. Because all these things were moving in the church. Now we're not, you know, here's something I said last week which was amazing to me about church history. The church created the welfare system. It was never supposed to be the government's. Because the church welfare system was, not, was designed not to keep you broke. The natural welfare system is designed to keep you broke. Come on, y'all know it. Because if you make too much money, you lose it, right? So they want to keep you down. The church welfare system was designed, and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about, the, if I have time, about the first century church. If not, we'll do it next week. Was to help people. And there was a lot of help needed in the first century church. So, the generosity, the devotion, the fellowship, the coming together, the joining, knowing, it breaks my heart. And again, I don't live in Heavenville, and I'm not really connected to the social network of Heavenville. But it really should be that as a church, first and foremost, people that call Faithway their church, if there's a need, we should know about it. Thank you for your excitement on that revelation. Because that was a first century church. Didn't, you, didn't we just read it? Y'all miss it. There was no need... Among any church members. Because if there was need, the other people took care of it. I'm losing y'all. I'm, talking, I'm, just, I'm just reading what we just, I'm just explaining what we just read. So the church became this place. Now in the first century, this was very important because it was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Now, give me the next one. Let me see where we're at. The success was not only in the message of grace and love but the revolutionary implementation of this message. So when you think about why did this, if you want to call it cult of 11 guys, survive and created Christianity that we know today? Well, because God, yeah, God was on their side. But one of the things that happened was their success was not only in the message of grace. Nobody had ever heard this message. We think, oh, grace, what a cute message. Nobody, this is so revolutionary. Every religion... The Jewish religion and the pagan religions were similar in this. The Jewish religion was 600 and whatever, 13, well, it's between 13 and 20-something, depending on how you count them. 630, let's just call it 620 rules, you will be holy. That's Jewish religion. Pagan religion, they kill your babies, burn them at the altar. I mean, we're talking serious, you know, the altar of Baal. Horrible stuff. Every religion demanded for you to bring something of yourself, either your child or your money or your something, to appease the gods. Now, the Jewish one was self-inflicted because God was never like that. We know the story. But it included that. So here comes Jesus, and he has a message that has never been heard, never been heard from a religious standpoint, not from the pagan religions and not from the Jewish religion, which was, you are saved by grace. Not of works but just because of love. The other thing the message carried 
was love. Love? Are you serious? First century. Imagine this. This is the, this is the church. God, I gotta, I'm going to go through this quick. Y'all, y'all still with me? You're engaging? All right. This is, the, this is the society that Jesus is born into. Jesus is born into a society, first century. No hospitals exist. There's no such thing as a hospital. There's no such thing as a hospice. There's no such thing as an orphanage. Those things, those things have never, there's no concept of that. There were doctors, but if you could not afford a doctor, it wasn't like Obamacare. It was, if you could not afford a doctor, you don't get a doctor. All right? You died. Only the rich people. Luke was a doctor. You could afford a doctor, you'd have a doctor. You couldn't, you couldn't take care of your kids. Your kids, it was a normal thing. Not from the Jewish people, but from everybody else. Your kids, you know, you, you got too many kids. You can only feed two and you got ten. You release eight. What do you mean you release them? Throw them out in the street. Let them figure it out. I'm talking little kids. So it was very common to have these little feral kids running all over the little packs. of. And I've seen some of this in the... We saw some of this in the gypsy colonies up in um, eastern Ukraine many, many years ago. It was crazy. Some of the stuff we saw with little six-year-olds smoking and drinking. It was like, whoa, dude. It was insane. No, I'm serious. But you see these feral kids. Remember Marcos? Marcos saw them. Marcos, they stole his ice cream. No, no, who's I? No, it wasn't your ice cream. Marcos, I tell him, don't give him any money, but he's such a good guy, and he disobeyed his pastor, so he gave him money. And then he couldn't get rid of him, remember? They were like, and I'm like, disobedience. That's what you get. Nah, Nah, I rescued him. I rescued him. But it was crazy. I mean, we saw these gypsy kids. These are feral kids. Well, this was very common in the first century. You couldn't take care of your, 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 your parents. There's no such thing as a nursing home. Throw them out in the street. This was a thing. Most cultures, most pagan cultures, this was a thing. The Jewish had a different sense because they were more about family and unity and they would take care of their own. But it was not common. Again, no hospitals, nothing. These are, just, these are just historical facts of the first century life. If there was a pestilence, you know, they talk about a plague like we did with COVID, they would shut that town down, the Roman government. Nobody in, nobody out. Till everybody dies or they survive. And the only people that dared go in the middle of the night to feed some of these people because they would starve them to death were the Christians. The church did a bunch of revolutionary things that today we think is normal. All that started from an ecclesia that had the heart of Jesus. Now, we're not trying to start, but the hospitals came from that. Why do you think most of the hospitals in the world have some kind of religious name on them? Amen. You got the Baptist, the Methodist, everybody's got a hospital. But that started with the church. The hospices was started with the church. They said, this is inhuman. How can you let an old person just die like a dog in the street? And the Christians, with no money, they would go in there and pick up these old people and bring them into their homes and give them a death with dignity. They weren't even related. That was unheard of. What's causing this? Because the ecclesia and the head are in rhythm. They didn't just come up with this. Why would they come up with this? Something happened in them that the love of God was penetrated in their hearts so deep that they just said, it's not right to let these kids be feral kids. And they began to take kids in. Thus, first orphanages were Christian homes. First hospices were Christian homes. First hospitals were Christian homes. Now, this is not a Christian message. Go track this through history. Go back to the first century. It was horrible. Because it's really bad today. No, it was really bad then. Women, zeros. You can still see some of that in the Middle East today. Women were considered zero. But in the, in the church, 
This, you want about revolutionary ideas? In the church, the women had authority. You wonder why they made so many, many people mad. <laughs> I'm talking, you know, today, you, you look what's happening in Afghanistan. I mean, the women and the whole thing. That was, that was just the way it was. Well, the church didn't say, and you see women leadership in the church. Completely unheard of. So, you, I mean, I could keep you guys for a long time, and my clock is up, so I've got to finish at least where we're going today. The ideas that the Ecclesia brought were so revolutionary, so crazy, and so insane that God began to add, and, add, and that is what causes, because there's people like, what? There's people that will actually give of themselves to take care of me? Wow, I want to be part of that. 3,000 people wanted to be part of that in one day. Because there was no hope for them. The only thing that brought hope in Jerusalem at that point was the church of Jesus Christ. They had never heard anything like this. And then they not only heard it, they began to see these. What do you mean you guys are taking care of each other? Read it. There was no need. There was no, I'm talking over 3,000 people with no need in the first century where everything was need. Starvation was, the, you know, people died starving in the streets. That's just the way you didn't. It was just normal to see people dying of starvation like you would see dogs dying of starvation. Nobody cared, but the church cared. And the church did. And all these great institutions that we have today started from the book of Acts. Isn't that amazing? Give the Lord a hand clap for that. If you ever used a doctor or a hospital in your life, because God and his people are the ones that created that. That, is, that just, you know, stokes me so much because, it, you know, the things that God has done, and sometimes we take it so, so, so away from it. All right, so that was a revolutionary implementation of the message. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Let me give you a couple of scriptures, and I'm going to, my, my clock left me too quick, but I'm hoping you get this message because, well, I'll get to where I need to get. Let me just give you this scripture. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love. Pay attention, because this is, this is basic instructions to the church are found in the book of Hebrews. And good works, and not neglecting to meet together. Isn't that the same thing that's happening in Acts chapter 2? They're doing good works. They're hanging out. They're doing something. This is a beautiful picture of the Ecclesia. But what happens here? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And look what it has there. And I'm talking to those of you watching me on Facebook Live that are supposed to be in the building. As is the habit of some. (laughs) That was written like a long time ago and it's so relevant today. What is that? Well, some people used to go to church and they got in the habit of not going to church. Preaching to the choir this morning, sorry. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you and you also are to love one another. By this, all the people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, back to the one in Hebrew, just real quick. I want to put something here. He tells us here, instructions, we are responsible for each other. Stir one another to love. I like that. Have you ever run into a, a, a Christian that was like baptized with lemon juice? No? Those amargados? And then you do the Christian thing, well, I'm not talking to you. You amargado? Oh, yeah, you're really it. Because <laughs> here he tells you, if you find those people, go hug them and give them a big fat Wet kiss like the song, right? That's what it's saying. It says, consider how to stir up one another with love. 
I want you guys to do something this week. This is your pastor speaking to you. You don't have to do it, but it would be cool to see what happens. If everyone in this room, those of you that are local, would make it a point to reach out to somebody that you haven't either seen in church or has never been to church, but you're not going to invite them to church. You're going to love them. You're going to do actions of love towards that person. They might reject you. They might think you're stupid, but you're going to do that. See what happens. Church growth is not hard because people all want the same thing. They want, you know what people want? They want a tribe. That's why we buy Cowboys jerseys. And, you know, I don't know why you would buy any other one, but um, Spurs jerseys and stuff like that. You want to be part of a tribe. You like a band, you wear the shirt, right? Whatever. Everybody wants a tribe, but you know what they want about that tribe? They want to feel safe. Come on. They want a tribe that they will not feel judged. Can we create that tribe? Can we create an environment where people can walk in and not feel judged? I hope we can, because that's, my, that's one of my, my central messages. It always has been. You know, we create an environment where people come in, and, and they've been beat up and beat down and betrayed and all the bees that you can find, and they come to a place and they finally realize that, wow, these people aren't fake. They actually mean the love thing. They actually are here to help me. Because that's the thing with the church. You know, church has a big hype about how lovely and amazing the church is. And people go, oh, I need this. I need this in my life. And they grant. Why, why are you saying this, Pastor? Because it happened to me. This is a personal story. You know, barely born again. And I embraced the church like, you know, the life-giving thing I needed. And before I knew it, I got backstabbed and kicked and all kinds by church people. Three months in, I'm surprised I'm still here today, right? But, you know, the church shouldn't be that. Because, again, when we close this down, we're almost done. Are we still the church? Of course we're still the church. We're never going to stop being ecclesia. You're going to go home with your family, you're still the ecclesia. You know, you're part of this move that God is trying to do. So the instructions are very simple. And, we, you know, it says don't neglect to meet. Okay, we got that. But he says, stir people up with love, not with judgment, not with condemnation, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day near. Now, I I do need to skip some parts because the clock left me, and I do do need to finish with this. So go to, just skip the the next slide, RJ. Go to the, where it says, remove the excuses, um, Romans 8.1. Okay, you guys, very familiar scripture. This is one of the reasons, you know, as I was praying because every message that we preach has to have a, like, you know, talking about a conclusion and a point of decision or a point of helping you out. And this is what the Lord dealt with me this morning because I was praying about it. I said, Lord, okay, this is a wonderful teaching. <laughs> you know, how is it going to help the people? And this is what I got. He says, we've got to remove condemnation. I said, what? Yeah, condemnation. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, we've done a lot of messages on condemnation. Yeah, but the, one of the main problems people don't fall into moving in rhythm with God is condemnation. Most people feel they're not qualified to be part of the ecclesia because you're not holy enough. I already, I didn't spend enough time, but I did it briefly. You don't need to be holy. You just need to be part of an ecclesia that is holy. And that will make you holy by default. Because your mindset changes. We already went through all that. So, Paul, you know, one of the most powerful chapters of the whole New Testament on spirit living is Romans 8. And he begins something, I like the Passion Translation, the way it reads. It says, so now the case is closed. Well, what is a closed case? This is really deep. It's a closed case, Pastor. That means the judge has said, we're done with this. 
Either you're going to prison or you're free, but we're done. We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not visiting this again. And this is important you understand this, because when you come to Jesus, the, the how can I put it, the commission of the ecclesia comes with the salvation. You, you don't, you're like, well, I'm saved and I'll become ecclesia six months from now. No. With salvation comes that. Now, I don't know if it happens to everybody, but I remember when I got my life together, it wasn't... Well, I don't have my life together yet, so I can't even say that. But when I sort of started getting my life together, there was a burning desire in me to tell somebody about Jesus. I didn't ask for it. Just I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to do, so I just joined a team and started going to prison ministry. That's where the ministry started. It just, what do I do with this, Lord? Somebody, i got to tell somebody how good you are. And here we are today. Isn't that cool? You just have to be obedient. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. So I want to, I want to really, I want to finish with this. I've got to try to land it. Here's the thing. That's why I put remove the excuses because the two primarily excuses that we have are I'm not qualified for this, Pastor. I just, you know, you don't even know my past, Pastor. I, I just walked into church, you know, last week. I have all this horrible. Listen to me. None of those things matter because if that's the reason any of us are qualified, then we're all disqualified, including yours truly. I, I got no business talking to you this morning because I have nothing in my life that makes me holy other than what he has done in my life. And it's very simple. As soon as he is removed, all the holiness leaves also. So stop pursuing holiness. The holiness comes when the mindset and the mission and all these things kind of line up, and pretty soon you're not even thinking about holiness. Well, should I do this or that? No, you're just in rhythm with something, and you start seeing the evidence of it, meaning purpose. Because, you know, last week we talked about meaning in your life. So many people have no meaning in your life. Well, I have no meaning in my life. Yes, but you're part of something that does have meaning. So that, by default, gives meaning to your life. Well, I'm not doing nothing for Jesus. If you drop a dollar in that offering bucket today, you have meaning in your life. Because that, some of those, that money will touch people's lives in Cuba, in Mexico, locally. So even though you're not hands-on... You're still part of this thing. And that's where the condemnation comes because the devil will beat you and beat you and he does it to me today. He does it to me every day of my life. Oh yeah, you did this, you did this, you did this. There is therefore now no condemnation. And this is really where we have to summarize it. If we're going to be effective, if we're going to be effective, we have to, have to break this thing out of us. And I'll tell you, that sometimes is a, in my own personal life, it's sometimes like a daily, there's things that will just start beating you down, beating, well, you didn't do it right. You didn't do this. Oh, yeah? Well, look, who do you think you are? Oh, yeah, you're going to talk about Jesus now. Uh-huh. And it just never ends. This little voice never ends. Never. And Jesus keeps giving you opportunities to be a blessing. But that condemnation just kind of, so you shut up. So the very first step to tell somebody about Jesus is not to tell anything to them. The first step is to get condemnation out of your life and then see what happens. Because the message of Jesus, when we try to force it, when we say, oh, I'm supposed to, oh, God, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm on a mission. And, and you have somebody, how do I tell them about Jesus? You're going to mess it up. You're going to mess that whole thing up. Because that person is not on your mind track. That person's over there just talking to you of whatever, and you're over here, how do I tell them Jesus? You know, so you guys are like on a whole different wavelength. What you do with that person is you just become real. And you begin to listen. And as, and as you're listening, then the Holy Spirit begins to, a little door here, a little door there. And sometimes it'll be six months before you even talk to that person about Jesus. But that person has now confidence in you, is willing to share part of your life. And when the moment is ripe and the moment is right, the Holy Spirit will bring Jesus to that person. And it will be the easiest thing you've ever done in your life. 
that you have to be free of condemnation. Because condemnation will always tell you you're not capable of it. Amen? Well, I'm not done. I'm just going to stop. Stand to your feet. <laughs> There's some good stuff I missed, but we'll, we'll prick it up next week. Next week, I do want to talk about how, how to discover your calling. You know, what is, how do you embrace it? Some say, well, let's, let's talk about embracing your calling. Well, embracing it is fine, but you've got to find it first before you can embrace it. So we'll talk about that next week. But this week, I mean, this morning, I do know what the Lord put in my heart. And, and just be honest with yourself. You know, there's no, no agenda here to embarrass or make anybody feel uncomfortable. But we do have to get rid of this spirit of condemnation. We have to get rid of it as a, as a corporate spirit. And I'll tell you what that means. The Lord is showing me this right now. The corporate spirit of condemnation can come on a church as a whole. It's come on me. Because I'll go back and look at, oh, wow, I remember back in, you know, when we had 120 young people every Sunday night. and Oh, you remember, you know, 2019 when the church was full. Oh, you remember. And pretty soon it starts condemning you. Well, it can happen on a church. What happens to the church? And I, and I feel it's hit our church a few times. You know, I praise God we survived COVID. So many churches didn't. But if we're not careful, we lose our, we lose our fire. Because we're just like, oh, okay, let's go to church on Sunday. But we're still kind of in survival mode. That's not where we are. We are the ecclesia. You should be excited to leave this building this morning. Because God, if you just, if you're just excited, because here's the thing, but I don't have no power. No, but the ecclesia does. When you, when you understand the corporate anointing, and just like the corporate condemnation, you can pray for people and truly have the confidence that those people are going to be fine. Or that stuff's going to happen because you're not just relying on your faith, you're relying on the whole package. This is so good because that's where the strength of the Ecclesia comes. Where you're weak, I'm strong. Where you're strong, I'm weak. And together, we just kind of draw from each other. So this morning, if you've ever felt like this thing is on you or you haven't been able to resolve it, I know it's kind of a strange way to end it, but that's exactly what the Lord told me to do this morning. Is we are going to get rid of condemnation. And with condemnation comes guilt and shame. They're all the same thing. So if every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're watching me online and, and maybe you don't know Jesus, I know, I, I know everybody in this building this morning. and I know, I'm confident that everyone's born again. But if you don't know Jesus, let's all pray this prayer. This is a very, very important prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, here's my life. Make it yours. Forgive me of all my sins. And I invite you, Lord, as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. That's simple. If you meant that, you're born again. And now we're going to deal with this. We'll see where the Lord takes it. But if you're here this morning and you just fight this thing, and I know you are. I know you're here. I don't know who you are. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's all of us. I know, I know I'm part of this prayer because, boy, my head, if I, if I leave it alone, it will beat me down bad. And I have to continually remind myself about these scriptures. You know, if you're wired, if you're kind of a person that's wired to succeed and wired, you know, very... You know, high-performing person, this stuff will beat you up. I just ask for his grace this morning. Father, I just thank you for this church. And I know, Lord, what you spoke to me this morning. And I know, Father, where we're, where we're going with this. That, Father, this church has been such a blessing to this community in ways that maybe we don't understand, maybe ways that we've never seen, maybe ways that we'll never see. But I do pray right now, Father, for faith way as a whole. That, Father, our church is not a church sign. Our church is not even this building. Father, we are a group of people that you've commissioned us 
to this part of South Texas. You've commissioned us to Cuba. You've commissioned us to places that are completely unrelated, Lord. And Father, we will be obedient as in Ecclesia to do what you've called us to do. Now, this is my prayer for you. If you're dealing with this, you know, I was going to have a prayer line. But I don't know. I just feel maybe the Holy Spirit can deal with this where you are. Because I know it's, it's a tough call. But if you are consistently, listen to me, under this guilt, shame, or condemnation, even though you've given your life to Jesus, you're going to church, you know, you've changed a lot of things in your life, and that thing is still beating you down, or maybe even beating you down on the fact that you can't serve in church, or you, who are you to share Jesus, who are you to help in the nursery, all this nonsense. God needs you, and you need God. That's exactly what an ecclesia is. We are his hands and we are his feet. And God will anoint your hands and your feet and your mind. But the one thing he doesn't want is a church that is broken under condemnation and guilt. There could be a hundred things you've done to be under condemnation and guilt. But the blood of Jesus is still there. Are you here this morning? So I want you to receive it this morning. No more. And when you do something you feel feel that is going there, you just go right back to grace. You go right back to grace. This revolutionary message that had never been heard till the first century. That God loves you. That you don't have to do anything to receive the love. That's what I'm talking about this morning. So here it is. Father, in the name of Jesus, every spirit of condemnation and guilt and shame that has been brought on us through our life choices and by the devil and by this, Father, we, we would not need you if we were perfect. Glory to God. We would not need a savior if we had this all figured out and we don't and we never will and that's a good place to be lord so today right now in the name of jesus if you're if you're under this i'm going to pray this it breaks right now every spirit of condemnation now bows its knee to the name of jesus it is broken off of you no more guilt no more shame you have no past your past is jesus past that's the only past you have Your life started when you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Nothing else before that matters anymore. So you tell the devil that. Next time he brings, oh, you know, 20 years ago you did this. Five days ago you did that. Oh, no, no, that doesn't matter. I don't live in the past. I don't live in the future. I live in the present. And I live with anointing. And I live free from condemnation, guilt, and shame. Now, if you believe that this morning, I want you to receive that. You receive that, and then you begin to recognize it. Amen? Amen? All right, let's give the Lord a big hand. Clap. You may be seated. God bless you. What I meant by that last statement, and, oh, by the way, we're going to get out a little later, but that's Kathy's fault, not my fault. So y'all can blame her. I see. I'm like, wow, they got a long, it was like a concert this morning. That was good. It was messy. Condemnation is a little wicked worm. I'm trying to describe it. And most of you will recognize it. If I, if, I, if I describe it like a little wicked worm, why? Because, you know, you'll be having your day just fine, lovely day, and that little worm will get in your brain and say something like, you know, Lauro, 15 years ago, you should have not said that. And then you hear, like, yeah, I should have not said, oh, man, I should not said that 15 years ago. I mean, that's exactly Oh, yesterday. Okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't. May the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, Lord. I'll go around this side. <laughs> That's that little worm. I'm just saying, recognize it. Recognize it. Because when you recognize it, like, no, 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 get, get out of here, you little worm. There is therefore no condemnation. The case 
is closed, devil. Get out of my head. That's the attitude. And I'm telling you, is it that easy, Pastor? Well, if you're consistent, it is. It's not that easy because he'll come and drive and drive and, and, and drive. But, but, but it's almost like a reflex. Condemnation comes. You're like, nope. Now, if you've got to repent of something, repent. There's nothing wrong with repenting. Come on. I'm sure all of us sinned this week. Can we say amen? <sighs> if that was you, you just sinned, you arrogant thing. No, just kidding. No, no, we're not just walking around, oh, God, I'm a sinner. But, you know, we say something, we do something, we've got a bad attitude, we kick the dog, whatever. There's always repentance. There's always, Lord, help me, Jesus. But there is no room. I don't know why I'm still on it, but I'm going to get off of it when I get off of it. There is no room for condemnation. There's room for repentance. Recognize repentance, but don't let condemnation come in. You got all that? All right. Say yes so I can stop. All right. Amen. All right. Y'all know what to do. I'm not going to take any more of your time. Um, You know, just remember that little point I made on your giving this morning. If Jesus was here, would you be more comfortable to give if he was physically? Because you got to break past that because at the end of the day, he's here. Amen. So just do what you need to do and, and, um, you know, be obedient to the Lord. I think that's the greatest message of finances you could tell anybody. Well, what am I supposed to give? What God tells you to give. Well, what about the tithe? That's a personal decision too. In the New Testament, by the way, there's no, there's no forced tithe. So why do we tithe, Pastor? I tithe because I just believe it's part of the covenant. I tithe because Abraham tithed. That's the only reason I tithe. I don't need a deep revelation. My covenant is Abrahamic covenant, and the covenant started with a tithe back here. Because there's a lot of explanation going on. Well, you're not in the New Testament church not supposed to tithe. Well, probably not. There's nothing in the New Testament, I'm telling you, that says you have to tithe. Nothing. Nothing. There's not one reference. I'm telling you, my belief of tithing is a very personal belief. And it comes from the Abrahamic covenant. Because I take that covenant very seriously. Now, beyond that, there's generosity. And that's all we're looking for. Because that is one of the attributes of the church. And, I, and I actually, one of the slides that I skipped, I was going to talk about the culture of the church. And I'll talk about it next week. So, anyhow, there's the information. Thank you guys for all your support. And um, we're getting ready for our conference in Cuba. I've been, I got to talk to Yoel this week. November. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Everything in Cuba is maybe, maybe not. There's just a lot of stuff going on in Cuba now. Again, as usual. But um, keep us in your prayer with the Cuba thing because it's, it's an important thing. If we, do, if we do realize that whole project, it's going to be very, very significant. All right, go ahead and stand with me, and we'll get you out of here. God bless you guys. Remember, we're going back. Our prayer service is back on, on Wednesday at 6. What I do want to say about our prayer service is, are you standing? I want to talk to any, everybody that's listening to me, but you know, if you're a leader, last time, because of my schedule and because of where I live and because of you know, my grandson's school and all that, we had talked about you know, before the summer that we would have prayer and that we'd have teams and so forth and so on. And what happened was we kind of started right, but at the end of the thing, the teams dissolved and it was just me <laughs> again. And I can't, I can't. I would check, and sometimes people would cover, and sometimes they wouldn't. So we lost the rhythm, and I don't think we should do that. If we're going to start a service, we need to keep the service going. So I'm asking you, pray about it. Um, Everyone's qualified. After this sermon, you should be qualified. So we can have um, people that can lead a prayer service. Again, it's not about being anything. All you got to do is just stand up and write notes and talk to God about it, you know. Um, Really pray about that, because that's an area that we need help. I do want to, you know, that is one of the foundations that we have to come back to and we have to be strong about because I I know in my heart that the success that this church has had has been because of our prayer ministry. 
all these years that we've prayed, you know. So we have to bring back our prayer service. And that was one of the characteristics of the Ecclesia. They got together for prayer. So what I need from us by Wednesday, if some of you leaders say, Pastor, I think I could do once a month. But but before you do that, make sure you are serious about it. I'm not asking you to do every prayer service, but if you can do once a month, that would help me because I cannot be here every Wednesday. Like this Wednesday, I will be here. I promise you that. But, you know, my rhythm is a little different. And I can commit to maybe two a month, but those two that are not, um, I need people to come and pray. So, we, you know, again, don't feel condemnation over the call. Just ask God, is that me? Because the devil said, who do you think you are going to start? No, you can, anybody can pray. And the other one is, and you heard it from Kathy, is really, uh, you know, ask God about our nursery, our children's church. As I'm preaching these messages, is, is, there, a, is there a goal intended? Yes, there is. It's not a secret. I'm trying to spark a fire among our church to really see the big picture. We are all in this together. I got one little job, but everybody has a job. You know, my job is this. You know, I say I get the steering wheel. You know, I get to drive the car. But there's people that are putting gas in the car. There's people that are checking the tires. There's, you know, all these helpers, all these people that are in all these buildings now. Well, we need more of those people. So those people can come and enjoy the service because I haven't seen, for example, Kathy's been out too, right? Oh, no, last week she went. But then today, you know, they're serving. And Yanis, and it's always the same people. So really, really consider this thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you where it's going. And I pray, Father, over our team building. I pray over the nursery helps in all the areas that we're trying to grow. That, Lord, you send the helpers. We're not going to force any of this, God. It's going to be by grace. It's going to be by the form that the ecclesia has. But I just thank you. There are people within the sound of my voice right now that are being stirred up by your spirit, not by my words, by your spirit, Lord, to become part of the team, to become part of the ministry. And I thank you for those decisions that are being made. I thank you for the offerings that are being sown in obedience this morning to keep, Father, the ministry moving forward. I call it blessed, and I pray, Lord, just like I...